Glad you're here with us on the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you and your wallet. I want you to learn ideas from me so that you can keep more of what you make. You can follow me at Facebook.com slash Clark Howard. Coming up, I've got something for you I have never had before. A Clark Rageous moment and Vanguard together and one. I'll tell you how Vanguard made the Clark Rageous moment. And later, there are two new big breaches. Actually, there are three new breaches going on right now. I'm going to tell you what precautions you need to take with the latest data breaches. And I want to talk about the yo-yo that the stock market is on right now. I was flying yesterday, and at the gate, I had three different people come up and ask me about what they should do about their 401ks. One guy, well, two were 401k. One was a guy who had investment accounts and wanted to know what they should do. And so this you'll get a kick out of. I didn't even know the stock market was having a bad day yesterday because I don't pay any attention to my investments except four times a year at the end of each quarter. And I figure out how I'm doing uh, well, how I'm not doing so well. And so I track that on a quarterly basis and I ignore the news in between. Because if you follow investment news too much, you'll mess up. You'll make a change that puts you in danger because emotion is speaking instead of reason. So when my plane landed, a fourth person stopped me to talk about her money and felt like the only thing that was safe for her to do was take all her money and put it in CDs or savings accounts. And I explained to her, because she was... uh, looked like she was about 38, 40 years old. If you're listening, and I completely botched your age, I apologize. Anyway, that's about how old she looked, and she was decades away from needing the money. And I explained why being invested is so important. But it's a natural thing that we as humans fear loss more than appreciate gains. And so you got to take a chill pill when the market goes on a dive. And even though there's ups and downs day by day, you know, we're way overdue for a significant stock market decline. But should that change anything that you do? I saw an item in Market Watch where a financial advisor had done something on an index card. I've talked before. Uh, Years ago, when we had a big decline in the stock market, another financial person had done an index card of advice, and I read that one on the air, and I like this one as well. It says, a market crash on a card. Markets average one 14% annual decline. Daily dips are 2% or more, happen about five times a year on average. Every five years, the market will decline 30% or more. 
but markets rise on average over time three out of four years. And over long periods, stocks beat inflation, which you're not going to do with CDs or savings accounts. And the idea of selling, you know, timing, I love the way this word, selling low and buying high never works. The point of that is a lot of people sold out at the market bottom last decade around 09 and waited to buy till the market had had a big run up. And this one, turn off the TV. So important because as an example, you watch CNBC, in order to try to keep eyeballs, they've got to create false drama. That's what they do. That's what any financial channel does. Fox Business, CNBC, uh, Bloomberg doesn't do that so much with their business channel, but it's geared towards a different market, professional investors. And checking your account all the time, obviously not a good idea. And the ending in all caps, these are the facts. Everything else is a scare tactic. Never make important decisions based on emotion. So I say, I mean, we could play audio, an audio clip of me going back to 1987. That's how long I've been on the air. And 1987, we had a stock market crash where the market lost 40% of its value in 48 hours. And I'll say the same thing at any time the market goes through a big decline. As I said then, as I said in year 2000, as I said going through the time period up to 2009, it's always the same advice. You got to know why you're investing, for how long, and that you're well diversified. And well diversified doesn't mean you buy a lot of funds. It's what you're buying or stocks. It's what you're buying that your money is well spread out, reducing the risk. And of course, being an owner of companies, which you is what you are when you're a stockholder, is risky in the short term but incredibly rewarding over the long term. Hertha is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Hertha. Hi, Clark. I have a credit card question. I'm ready, I hope. I'm wondering what is the best number of them I should have. A minimum number of credit cards you should have is two. An ideal number is likely somewhere between two and four. Ah, okay. I have three, so I'm good. You're fine, as long as they're from three different issuers. Okay. You don't want to have, like, some people might have two cards with one large issuer, like Chase and Citibank issue so many different cards that often people will have more than one card from the same issuer, Capital One as well. So you want to have those three different cards with three different issuing banks. Okay. Not like three MasterCards, you're talking about banks. Yeah, so you could have you could have three MasterCards. You could have three Visas. You could have um, a Discover. You could have an American Express. But you want to have them from different issuing banks. Okay. 
So like if you okay. had three different MasterCards and each MasterCard is issued by a different bank or credit union, you're good. I'm good. Okay. And well, the thing with credit much. cards, Hertha, one thing I want you to think about, are you a net payer of cards? Do you pay in full or run balances? Oh, never a balance. Never a balance. What kind of reward are you earning with the cards well, I, that you have? I have several of them. I have one that's like a local, uh, um, regional store, and there I get cash, but then I also get, uh, you know, benefits at the store. Okay. And then another one, uh, after so many points, I can get a card uh, to one of the big box stores, and then the other one is like 2%. 2 percent's my favorite. <laughs> if you're getting 2% yeah. on everything, that is my favorite. And the reason I asked you that, Hertha, is that most of us have not really thought about what card we have and why we have it in a long time. And there's so many different reward cards out there, and rewards change over time as well, that you knew what every one of your cards gets you, and you know why you use them. And it sounds like you're great all the way around, especially paying your balances in full each and every month. Good for you. Mary is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hi, Mary. Hi, Clark. Mary, you have a 14-year-old who is a would-be investor. I'm hoping so, because I never was. I always wanted to be, and now I want to live through my children and, and start them early. Great. So what do your kids want to do? Well, he came to me about two weeks ago and goes, Mom, we need to buy stock in such and such. And it was like a video game company. Or, and I've always kind of been interested in like diving into like buying stock. And I thought it was something that him and I could maybe do together and learn how to do it. Well, if you're going to do it together, there is an app you can download to your phone called Robinhood. Uh-huh. And Robinhood allows for free stock trading. Oh, okay. And you can buy in very small amounts. And I'm going to say, how old is your son? He's 14. I also have a 19-year-old that I think needs to do stuff, too, but I'm just starting with the 14-year-old. All right. Well, let's reverse for a second. The 19-year-old, is your 19-year-old working? Working and going to school. And that was another question. I didn't know if I could ask you. He's got money he doesn't know what to do with, and I thought about him maybe starting a Roth. As long as he's working and he doesn't exceed what he's earning in a year, that was exactly why I flipped tables here and wanted to talk about the 19-year-old, because doing the Roth would be the right thing. Is that something you can get at, like, the local credit union? He could, but I would much rather him do it with one of the discount organizations that specializes in investing, rather okay. than going to a credit union or a bank to open a Roth IRA. And I've got a list on Clark.com of the low-cost companies I'd like for him to look at and starter investments he can look at opening up his own Roth. Okay. Now let's talk about your 14-year-old. Mm -hmm. So I'm a big believer in something that uh, there actually is a guy named Charles Schwab who started the Schwab yes. brokerage, mm -hmm. and he developed a concept called Core and Explore, and that okay. the first thing anybody should do is own uh, a fund that owns pretty much the stock market. 
so that your money is well diversified at the start and then you add to it the explore is owning individual stocks okay so like if you set up a robin hood account that you operated with your 14 year old son uh you could start with a total stock market what's known as etf exchange traded fund mm-hmm. is that a term you've heard of or no if I if I did, I've heard it from you. Okay. See, so you own with a total stock market exchange traded fund. You own little teeny slices of most any company that you can buy on a stock exchange in the United States. Okay. So in one fund, you own thousands of companies. And then once right. you do that, if you want to add to it individual stocks like the gaming company that your 14-year-old's interested in, you can add those in. And so you have your base, which is the money spread out across the stock market universe, and then the exploring is the individual stocks you'd buy. And what's neat with Robinhood is you can buy with very, very small amounts, and again, you're buying them commission-free. Okay, that was my next question. He has some money in the bank, but I really didn't want to like deplete all of his savings. I just want to kind of start out like maybe a little bit from his savings and see where we go from there. So you would own this account, and you'd let him play with his money in it. Okay. And it's really easy to set up a Robinhood account, and it's a great teaching vehicle for him because he's then dealing with real investments, with real money, his money, and he sees the uh, benefits and consequences of the decisions he makes. So I think that's a wonderful opportunity for him. It's really come to this... I never could have imagined that Vanguard, my beloved Vanguard, would end up being the subject of a Clark Rageous moment? Really? Scams, ripoffs, outrages. It's a Clark Rageous moment. So, Vanguard, if you're not aware, is like a credit union for investing. And they have $5 trillion that people have invested with them. Trillion. It is the second largest investment house in the world. And people have gravitated to Vanguard because since it's owned by its account holders, the costs are extremely low because they're not trying to generate any profits for any stockholders. It is there just for the benefit of its account holders, its members. Well, the problem is multiple published reports say that Vanguard's customer service has gone in the toilet, that it's like too much of a good thing. They have so many customers now, or members, because there's 20 million. I don't know if Vanguard calls people customers or members, account holders, whatever. But anyway... There are 20 million people who now do their investing with Vanguard, and the growth has been so fast that their infrastructure has not kept pace. And people are complaining about long, long, long waits on hold and all the rest. So I talk about how great Vanguard is all the time. So if I'm going to do that, i got to tell you, the other side of the story that there are people reporting, it's not a plague of problems, but they're reporting that 
They're having a tough time dealing with them, speaking to somebody when they need to, and the rest. So just wanted to make you aware that one of my favorite children apparently is misbehaving. Do you know that? I have a list like of favorite children that are businesses. We just joke about that as a crew. And Vanguard is, well, they're one of my favorite children. And right now, they've got to go to the principal's office and learn to behave and learn to do a better job. And just heads up to you that that is apparently a problem right now. I've not experienced the long wait times or anything like that myself, but apparently it is a real deal. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard Show where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less and don't let anyone ever rip you off. The rip-off artists are going to be working. You're going to have to be prepared to protect yourself. Saks Fifth Avenue, off Fifth, which I think is more important to Saks than the main store at this point, and Lord and Taylor all got hit with a data breach, same parent company of these organizations, five million, count them, five million credit and debit cards are for sale right now by crooks, offering them as good hot numbers. The interesting thing with this is these card numbers are extra valuable to crooks. Because as a general rule, people who shop at Saks Fifth Avenue or Lord & Taylor are people who tend to have higher credit limits and have more money. So the real risk here is not with your credit card. It's if you happen to use a debit card at Off Fifth at Saks or at Lord & Taylor. Because as you may have heard me explain, with a debit card, the money goes directly out of your checking account. Bam! Gone! And then you have to fight with your own bank to get your own money back without the level of legal protections that someone carrying a credit card has. So if you have used a debit card in any of these three stores... The danger is real and present with a credit card. Okay, again, overgeneralizing, but people who tend to shop at Saks and Lord and Taylor may be charging higher volumes, higher dollar amounts, more overall transactions than the average credit card customer. You have a even greater responsibility to check your statements each month on your cards to see if they have been compromised. Now, Krebs on Security is reporting about a problem at Panera. Panera has leaked millions of records over the last eight months that include names, email addresses, physical addresses, birthdays, and last four digits of your credit card number. And now Panera realizes they're in the midst of a major data breach 
And there are different uses of the information taken in the Panera data breach. The Panera breach makes it a higher priority for you to get a credit freeze in place. The situation with Lord and Taylor and Sachs is unrelated to you doing a credit freeze, protecting your identity and all that. But the Panera breach is of a higher caliber risk. And if you are a Panera customer and you have never gone through the process of freezing your credit, that's something you should consider doing pronto. And I've got my credit freeze guide at clark.com slash Equifax. Rachel is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Rachel. Hi, Clark. How are you? Great. Thank you, Rachel. You have had something happen to you that is a very scary, fast-growing crime. I have, yes. Um, My cell phone number was illegally ported to another service provider two times last week. Not one, but two. Um, And during the midst of that, when the criminals had control of my phone number, they were able to call my bank, pretend to be me, uh, reset all of our um, security on our bank accounts using password retrieval. They were also able to hack into my email. I'm not sure what they were able to get from my email, but I was, um, I actually witnessed them trying to send the password retrievals back and forth to my linked email accounts because I didn't realize that that was a bad thing to do. I do now, but, but, um, and that our cell phone accounts are, our accounts and our phone numbers and those pins that are on your wireless accounts are so important, like as important as your social security number and your banking information. And the cell phone industry has been behind the curve on this. Yes. And the cell phone carriers are belatedly scrambling to offer higher levels of security because it never occurred to the cell phone carriers how valuable your cell phone number would become two uh, criminal rings. And so you are a victim twice of what's known as SIM hijacking. Correct. And so they steal your cell phone service because with two-factor authentication, most banks, brokerages, mutual fund companies, retirement account people, they do that thing where they send you a one-time use text. And when they do that, that then opens you up If a criminal has hijacked your cell phone service, they're the ones that are getting the one-time use pens, and they're able to try to empty every financial account you have. Have you been able to keep your money safe? Have they gotten to any of your money in any investment or bank account? We believe they did get to our money um, both times. USA or Our bank has um, reversed those transactions quickly. Um, I guess the most interesting. Right, now, go ahead. Uh, since it started to slip so out, sorry. so USAA is Correct. who got hit twice. Correct. Were they able to? Uh, were you able to react, and they able to react quick enough that the criminals did not make off with the money? I do not know the answer to that. We um, still have to are going through the process of getting the affidavit so that local law enforcement in USAA and cell providers can talk to each other um, and uh, try to find the people 
that are responsible. They are very persistent, these individuals. We believe it's more than one. Um, I guess for me, the most infuriating thing about the whole process was once our phones were just shut off and we found out that they had been illegally ported, I called the bank and I said, hey, this is what's happening. Lock everything up for me, please. And they didn't do that. USAA so, didn't uh, jump no. to it quickly enough. No, they, um, they, the criminals were so persistent and they knew enough little information about me that they were able to then a couple hours later get into the account, reset everything that I had done to try to upgrade the security on my bank account. They were able to reset that all again and um, do some transfers. Well, the good news is that when it involves money in a bank account, you have no liability. Right. And this is something that's unsettling for people in brokerage accounts and mutual fund accounts and things like that. There is no specific law that gives you total blanket protection like you have at a bank or credit union. Mm -hmm. But more and more of the uh, investment community outfits are providing it anyway, where they're saying that you have zero liability from fraud actors like this. And all four cell carriers are in the process of putting in place new procedures where you have a separate secret code that you put in place that a criminal would not know and have access to to steal your phone number, your cell phone number. Did your cell phone carrier have any such procedure like that once this happened to you? No, and that was what was really tough, too, is because we had a PIN on the account. And how the criminals were able to get the PIN, we, we are not sure. We don't know yet. Whether they called our cell provider and impersonated us and knew enough information for them to, be, for them to reset it over the phone, we, we don't know. Um, but then after it happened the first time, we thought we were safe. We thought that um, they wouldn't, AT&T wouldn't let this number get ported out again. But, um, but in my conversations with the people at AT&T, it's exactly what you're saying. It's they're behind the curve. They don't even know much about how to protect the consumer from this yet. Because according to them, it, hap- it can happen all electronically. There doesn't have to be any ID shown to port a phone number. There doesn't have to be another person. They don't, the criminals don't have to walk into the store. They, if they have the electronic information about you, your account number, your PIN, any, your names, like they, can, they can do it all electronically and it happens instantaneously. And then you have to wait to def- for us, it was four days to get your phone number back. Well, and so you mentioned this is an AT&T problem, but this is an industry-wide problem with the cell phone hijacking. And the industry, knowing the vulnerability now and that this works so well for criminals, means that they're going to have to put additional layers in place. To my knowledge, T-Mobile is the only one of the four companies of the big cell phone carriers that has put a new layer of protection in place on cell phone number porting. Because what the criminals are doing is they're going to uh, any cell phone carrier they want to, different than the one you're with, Mm -hmm. porting the number out Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And then they have control of your number usually Correct. within 15 minutes. Right. And then they're free, already knowing your bank account information and all that, they're free to then go to the races to try to steal your money. Now, it's best, it's likely, and it's not certain, but it's likely that this crime has become so rampant because of the Equifax data breach. Yeah. So the criminals know who your cell phone carrier is. They know where you do your banking. They know where you do your brokerage. They know all the stuff about you. And so it's like on a silver platter for them. Do you have your credit frozen yet? We do have our credit frozen. And your credit was frozen before all this happened? No, it wasn't. Okay. So that is a a precaution that I would advise others to put in place. If you are with T-Mobile, unlike Rachel here, if you are with T-Mobile, go ahead and contact T-Mobile and put in the new extra layer of protection that in theory is to block cell phone number hijacking or SIM hijacking because this is a very, very hot criminal activity right now. And I hope, Rachel, you'll keep us up to date on how all this plays out over the next few weeks. Ricky is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ricky. Hello, Clark. I'll tell you what great information i tell you. Hmm. Thank I you. I get a degree in finance just listening to you every day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, quick question for you, please. Um, is it wise to take, without depleting the whole 401k, is it wise to pay off your uh, mortgage from the 401, um, understanding that I have to pay, you know, keep paying taxes and insurance, but is that a I keep getting all this advice from my um, so-called and um, friends, you know, and I told them, I said, well, I'm calling Clark, and that's it. All right, so would you be borrowing from a 401k, or is this an employer you're not at anymore? Right, I'm retired. So you could you could do a withdrawal from your 401k, pay tax on it, and wipe out your mortgage. So let's right. talk about a few things. Ricky, how old are you? 66. 66. And as I've said in the past, I really like it for people in their 60s not to have a mortgage anymore if possible. But at the same time, you can't eat your house. And depleting money in your 401k that provides a lot of flexibility, usually I'm not excited about. What is your mortgage interest rate? Uh, 3.75. Definitely don't do it. Oh, okay. Definitely don't. If you, um, if you had a mortgage interest rate that was much higher, then okay. we could go through the scenarios where it might make sense for you to withdraw some money from your 401k and wipe out the mortgage. But your carry cost is so low on your mortgage and the possibilities that you can out-earn that in your 401k so reasonably, uh, I wouldn't say high, but it's reasonably assured that you can out-earn that on your 401k. And again, having the money in your 401k gives you more financial flexibility. I would keep paying on the mortgages agreed, and eventually, how many years do you have left on the mortgage? Um, I would say 15 yeah. Okay, so I'm talking about you still owing on a mortgage till you're 81 years old. Right. Yeah, which is a scary thought, but at the same time, 
paying off a loan that carries such a low rate, I would rather you keep that loan in place and keep the 401k going. In four years, you're going to have to start making withdrawals from the 401k, doing your required minimum distributions. At that point, if you want to take money and put it towards the mortgage balance, then if you don't need the money otherwise, that could work. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Dawn is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Dawn. Hi, Clark. Dawn, you are interested in something that I have been a member of for more years than I could count. Fire away. Well, I have a few um, international trips planned in the next three years, and I just was wondering if it's worth my um, money and time to um, apply to the Trusted Traveler program to help me get through customs. Well, you want actually not trusted traveler if you're traveling internationally. You want global entry. Okay. Because trusted traveler is $17 a year, what people know now by the brand name PreCheck. Okay. And global entry, which allows you to check yourself back into the United States, is $20 a year. So for three extra dollars a year, you get to go in the um, lines at airports for all your trips where you don't have to take your shoes off, you don't have to take your laptop out, you don't have to take your liquids out. And security, most of the time, is much, much quicker when you have pre-check. But global entry on top of pre-check gives you this thing where they take uh, scans of your eyes, your fingertips, all that stuff, your fingerprints. And I just go to a terminal when I come back to the United States, and it reads my uh, four fingerprints on my right hand and knows who I am immediately pops up reads my passport asks me some questions I'm given a slip and I go to a line where they just look at it and see okay you've already done that's you and you went through global entry welcome to the United States so it is really great the hard part with global entry is getting an appointment for your interview because they do a face-to-face interview with you to try to make sure you are A-OK to be using those expedited procedures. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast of our show, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Whatever your favorite podcast app is, we're pretty much there. And whether you love what you hear from me or hate it, take time to write a review. It's how we all learn from each other is from those reviews.